You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Well, my name is Walter. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for worshiping with us today. You've jumped into a great time in the life of our church as we're coming off of Easter. One, we're celebrating because the resurrection is still true and still real. Even today, Jesus did not go back into that tomb. He reigns on high in heaven. So we still celebrate in that good message that Jesus lives. But we also are in a a critical time within the life of our church because we're wanting to really consider who we are as people of God. That's led us into the series, This Is Us. And I know it's borrowing from the hit show, and maybe you like that show, maybe you don't. But one of the things that we see from that show is that we are people who are formed by the stories and the things we experience in our life. If you've ever seen that show, the entire show is about the story of a single family and all that's happened to them that's led them to this present moment of dealing with challenging circumstances. And you and I are no different than the characters in this show because we are formed by the stories that we interact with, the things that we consume. Maybe you don't believe me, but I can tell you growing up that the stories I heard from my parents and my grandparents and our extended family, those were the things that shaped me to become not only who I am today, but also have led me to give a, have a, a guiding post, a compass, if you will, on how to live. You can probably look back in your childhood and your experience and you can recognize the reality that there have been things that you have heard, things you have seen that have directed you and guided you in your life. The reason this is so important is we are wired this way. When you study the scriptures, when you look at modern science, the truth of it is, is that stories are compelling to us. We like to hear stories. That's why everybody goes to the movies to see the new Mario movie, right? Everybody wants to see it because it's a compelling story. It's why you can't wait for the next episode of The Mandalorian to come out. Because you can't wait to watch good TV. We are captivated by stories. That's how we've been wired. Why? Because God wanted us to look at the scriptures, to know his story, and to be captivated by our role in this story. This is who we are. This is how we are created. At the end of the day, the reason God gave us this Bible, the reason he wired us this way is so that we would be captivated by this story of God and what he's doing in our world. That we would be captivated by our role in that story because we're not merely a passenger in this story, right? This is God's story that we get to be a part of, but we're a part of it. I just want to take a step back and just consider that, right? That you and I are part of God's story. We have a role to play. We have a part we're to live out and to practice in. Isn't that incredible to consider? As we're looking at this, we have to ask the question, what does the Bible say about our story? What does it say about who we are? What does it say about how we're to live, how we're to act as people of God? Well, one of the things we felt was important is to take a big picture view of the Bible and ask that question, who are we supposed to be? Who are we supposed to be? What is it about us? Why do we live this way? Why do we act this way? Well, as we looked at the Bible, one of the things that we felt was important, we had to answer this question. You know, we're a part of this thing called God's family. What does that mean? What does that mean to be a part of God's family? Well, we're going to today look at that answer through the scriptures. 
We're going to do this thing that we don't normally do. We're going to play Bible popcorn, and we're going to pop around to a different few verses to look at. I know we normally live in one passage, and you're thinking this is crazy, but we want to get a big picture view of what the Lord is telling us through the Scriptures. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write down that we are children of God. We are children of God. You'll see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the text will be on the screen for you. It reads, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Our first point is that we are children of God. Now, John, as he's writing this book, he's writing this as an exile on the island of Patmos. This is John, who's one of the 12 that walked with Jesus, the beloved disciple. Maybe you're familiar with him. He's in his old ancient days. He's in his 90s, and he's writing this story, and he's writing these verses to show us a few things that the Lord has shown him. He's received some visions from God, and he wants to be very clear about all the wisdom that God has given him. He he needs us to understand something. Specifically, he wants us to see the greatness of God's love for us. And he's just, he's captivated by this idea that he would call us children. Throughout 1st, 2nd, 2nd, and 3rd John, this phrase children is used to refer to you and I as people of God. This is so different than the rest of the New Testament. I don't know if you're familiar with the rest of the New Testament, but as you look through the New Testament, those common usage, the common language referring to us as people who are in the family of God is that Paul calls us sons. And in the Greek, we break that down. That's a legal term that's referring to adoption. He's trying to make a legal argument like, no, hey, we were once condemned people, but God by his goodness and grace has justified us and brought us into his family. It's true, it's a good argument, it's a good example of what the Lord has done. But John doesn't do that. John doesn't go into this conversation of, let me talk through legalities and all of this. No, no, no. I want to focus in on this. We are simply children of the Father. We are children of the Father. If you've got kids, you can probably remember the day they were born pretty well, right? Those moments are kind of seared into your brain. I can tell you a lot of things about when Perry was born, about when Molly was born. There's some funny stories about when Molly was born. Catch me afterwards. <laughs> Whatever, hear those. They're good. But you remember those things. For both of my children, on those days, our families gathered together. You know, the hectic phone calls and messages at night. You need to get here. This is happening. People coming to the hospital, gathering together. And then we have this moment of celebration. The children have arrived. This is a beautiful day. And then, of course, everybody starts talking about what features they have, right? He's got mama's eyes. He's got daddy's nose. Oh, he's got grandma's hair. Like all of these things, right? Like you can tell anything when they come out all squished and wrinkled, Right? Everybody says that your baby and every baby in the world, they're, they're beautiful, they're cute, they're perfect the way they are, and those are all good things, right? This is what John is trying to display to us when he uses this language, this word, children. He's saying, hey, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you kind of look like your daddy. I don't know if you've seen it, but you look like your father. 
You are a child of God. You have been transformed by the power of the cross. You are a new creation. You are like your father. We're a part of the family of God, and we look like our father. To us as humans, we hear that and go, well, of course I look like my dad. You can go look at my high school yearbook and then look at my dad's high school yearbook. We look the same, right? Like that's, I'm looking into the future of what I'm going to look like. But this goes so much deeper because we're not talking about just physical features. We're talking about internal transformation. When John says you look like your father, you have been transformed by the power of the cross. You're a new creation. Behold, the new has come. You see, John wants us to see that our story cannot be told without the story of God and our Father. Our story in life makes no sense as we're not looking at the Father. We are now children of God with all the rights and privileges that come from this. This is a title he's giving us. We are children of God. This means that our standing is not rooted in how we perform, but rather rooted in who we follow. I want you to hear that again. Our standing is rooted not in how we perform, but in the one we follow. That means nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. Paul writes this way, not heights, nor depths, nor powers, or whatever you want to insert there. Nothing, (coughs) nothing is going to separate us from the Father. Now, that's important for us to remember because we live in the real world. We live in a world that's broken, that's not working the way it's supposed to. It's a world that has lots of challenges and difficulties. And what you and I have a tendency to do, we have a tendency to begin to define ourselves, to find our identity rooted in things that are not of the Father, but in rather external circumstances. I am defined by what my job is, right? The job I has, have, that has some identity for me. I'm defined by my medical condition. My challenges physically, the things I deal with, those are defining, those are wrestling with my identity. I'm defined by my past trauma. I'm defined by this, that, or the other. We look at these external things that impact us, and we say that that has meaning and identity for us. I want you to hear this, that... We are not the things that we do or the things that have been done to us. We are children of the Father who loves us deeply. Doesn't mean we ignore those external things pressing in. But we don't simply say, I'm defined by my medical condition. No, I am a Christ follower who also happens to have this medical condition. I'm not able to say that I am a pastor. No, I am a Christ follower who happens to be a pastor. Our identity is rooted in this truth that we are children of the Father. My identity is centered in Jesus. The cross, what it's done for us, it supersedes, it overrides whatever struggle we are going through. The cross is sufficient for everything we are encountering. You see, John is building this out for us. He doesn't want us to miss that we come to this place of identity, this place of rest. How? It's not by performance. It's not by works. It's not by anything but what? The love of the Father. God himself is the source of this love. And what a love it is. 
I mean, is it not just a love that is so captivating that we've had stories and movies and epics written about this love? (coughs) It's a love that shrinks from no sacrifice, but it comes from the very nature of who God is. As we look to the cross, as we look at this foremost example of the love, we see a love that will not be put out by our sinfulness, but it showers its mercy upon unworthy people like you and I. We are not worthy of a love so extravagant, so merciful, yet it's been given to us and given freely. <coughs> this text reads like John's just incredibly excited. Like he, he's just so excited to have us, to have us hear this love, this work that, he has, that the Lord has done. In fact, as we look at this, the language here, and so we are, in the Greek, has this tenor of disbelief and excitement. Like John has just said what he said here in verse 3-1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And he's like, and can you believe it? We are actually his children. Can you believe that the creator of the heavens and earth would love me? Can you believe that the God of the universe cares about my life? John's in shock as he writes this. Can you believe this truth? That we are not only justified by God, He's made us righteous, but we are now His children. He's not just made us righteous and gave us a slap on the butt and said, good game. He has said, no, you are now righteous and you're a part of my family because you're a child of mine, which means you have all the rights and privileges any of my children should have. See, John wants us to rest in this truth that we are children of God. He wants us to rest in this because this is an encouragement for us in the middle of life's circumstances, in the middle of challenges, in the middle of all that we deal with as followers of God. We are to rest in this identity that we are children of the Father. I I would say this, to, to function well as a Christian, to be growing and thriving as a Christ follower, we have to know who we are in Christ. I mean, we just have to. That if we don't, things get out of whack, right? We start making things about our performance. We start making things about the rules we follow. Things get funky when we're not focused on this truth, that we are children of God by the grace of God, not by anything we have done. And as we focus on this, we are able to recognize that no matter what we are facing, we are still His child. This is good news for us. Now, it's not enough that we are simply considered to be children of God. We're a child of God. Being a child, being a child of God, means that we're a part of the family of God. I mean, you can't be a child unless you're part of someone's family, right? That kind of goes together with the conversation and the language. So if we're a child of God, that means we're a part of the family. That then begs the question, how are we supposed to relate to the family? Well, if you'll flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, you'll have the text on the screen as well. I have to manually flip, forgive me. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll see Paul begins to work out this reality of what does it mean to be a part of the family of God. See, he addresses the reality that we are members of God's household. We are members of God's household. Look with me at verse 19. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Paul's writing here to show the plan of God unfolding into the church. He understands that God did not just adopt us into isolation and he's got a kid here and a kid there and a kid out there. No, no, no. He's adopted us together into a large family. He's adopted us together into a people. And so Paul, as a practical man perhaps, he begins to address this reality that we are not only a part of God's household, but our family dwells within the kingdom of God. That's what he's telling us in verse 19. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. We dwell in the kingdom of God. Now, to try and be very simple here, the kingdom of God is where God rules. That is his kingdom. He's in charge. He's the king of his kingdom. Now, this has some complications we think through. How does it get used in the Bible? It's used in a couple of different ways. <coughs> There's one sense that, okay, the entire universe is God's kingdom. He's in charge of it all. He rules over everything, and that is true. But throughout Scripture, it's also used in a more limited way of focusing on God's kingdom as also individual hearts and minds of people. He is ruling and reigning over individual people as well. You see, Paul is showing us something here that because we live in this kingdom, we're citizens of this kingdom, our family dwells in the kingdom of God, that means that we've been united by our shared citizenship in God's kingdom. That means the things that would separate us no longer have to separate us. Paul writes a great deal about the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles here in the book of Ephesians. Whatever you want to insert today in terms of socioeconomic things that separate us, experiences, whatever you want to put that may divide us, those things are meaningless before the thing that unites us. That is, we are children of God. We are a part of a family that dwells within the rule and reign of God's kingdom. That means the thing that unites us is Jesus and nothing else. Because we have Jesus in common, we can now have reconciliation with one another. Now, this family that we've seen formed, that we've seen shaped here in Scripture, this family has been built upon who? Not us. It was on us. It'd crumble and fall. It's not been built upon something fancy or catchy. No, it's been built upon Jesus himself. This family, this rule and reign of God, this expression of God's love and affection in this world has been built upon Jesus. See, Paul is pointing to this idea that the church, we are this family. And he's echoing some of the language that Jesus uses back in the book of Matthew when he's at Caesarea Philippi. He and Peter are having this conversation and he tells Peter that upon this rock, I will build my church. And some people say, well, is Peter the rock, right? Is he the one that Jesus is building us upon? No. Jesus is saying, upon this rock, the language said, upon myself, I will build my church. Upon me, I will build it. I will be the cornerstone. I will uphold it. I will sustain it. I will be the one who ensures that the gates of hell do not prevail against my people. It will be me and me alone. 
You see, Jesus is the one who unites us, who sustains us, who makes us into a family. Left to our own devices, we probably wouldn't be together as people, right? We come from so many different experiences, so many different backgrounds, so many different places in our world, right? There's so many things that would say we're to separate and to go our own way. Yet the thing that brings us together, the thing that unites us week in and week out is Jesus. Because if we hold tightly to that, then we hold tightly to a family, to a fellowship. And so I would tell you that if we're children of God, then we are a part of the family. We're a part of the family. Like Jesus, we also have to live in a relationship with both God and with others. Right? Jesus didn't live in isolation. He did ministry with people. Beyond the times where he even went away to have some time alone, who was he in community with? With the Father and with the Spirit. He always had community. It's interesting as we look at the Scriptures, we look at just how we're made. We are made to long for connections in relationships. We really are, Right? When you encounter people who are in isolation, right, nothing good comes from being alone, right? Nothing good comes out of that environment. And I'm not saying there's not times where you shouldn't have some space to breathe and be by yourself. But long-term lack of relationships breaks us. Long-term lack of intimacy in the sense that people know us and we are known by others breaks us. It's not the way we're intended to function. I mean, you can look at any scientific study within the last hundred years. All of them will tell you, isolation will break you. What does that mean for us? It means that we were made to depend upon others, to have relationships, to be involved within the lives of other people. Now, how do I know this? Well, not only do I have all this evidence we can see in our world, but... I can just look at the scriptures and see how God functions. Do you know God is not existing in isolation? God has, since before the foundations of the earth, has been a community within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, dwelling together in the Trinity in constant community with one another. And I know the Trinity is a little complicated, and sometimes yeah, <coughs> we hear that and we think, oh gosh, what do I, I don't understand all this. Understand this. God himself is never alone. When we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's proclaiming that at this moment in history, for the first time, the Trinity is out of relationship. It's been broken. It's been separated. It's been torn asunder. He no longer feels the presence of God, he, the Father. He no longer feels the work of the Spirit. He's alone, bearing the weight of our sin and shame. We were the ones who fell. We were the ones who failed. Yet the true God, the triune God, was broken so that we might be united to Him and to one another as a family. This idea, this need to be a part of a family, to have these relationships, this is the foundation that all of our relationships rest on. We desperately need others. 
No man is an island. You've heard that statement, but it is true. As we study the scriptures, we study our world, you cannot function in isolation. Whatever we're in contact or conflict with a member, with a member of this family, we recognize this reality that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were ripped apart so that we might be united. God desires for us to be people who are moving towards one another in community. It's why he was broken, so that he could break down all the barriers between us that we might love one another. And I would simply tell you this. If you're here and you're not in community regularly with other believers, you are struggling. I don't even have to ask you how you're doing because I know you're struggling. If it's been a few weeks since you've been in a small group or you've been in a community setting, I know you are struggling. Why? Because you are far away from your family, from those who would sustain you and encourage you, hold you up. It is not sufficient that you would just attend on a Sunday and say that this is going to be how I'm going to be filled and recharged because this will not take you the rest of the way. You are meant for more. And so I would implore you, as you hear this, do not linger in isolation. Do not wait for some miracle to happen. No, take the step towards being like the Trinity, like our triune God, and move yourself into community. We talk about our community groups every week that meets on Sunday night. Come be a part of that. Come to Donuts and Devotions. If none of those windows work, tell us what does work. We've got brotherhood. We've got women after God. We have places for you to build that community. But you have to take the step to enter into those conversations, into those relationships. If these things are true, if they're true, then what what does it mean? What does it look like for us to be a family together? Beyond just spending time together, beyond just being in community, what does it actually look like for us to be a family? Like real nuts and bolts question, what is it we should be doing on a daily, weekly basis? Well, I think Paul gives us the answer in the book of Galatians. Galatians 6, verse 10 reads, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul tells us here very simply that we're to serve together. We are to serve together. We're to serve one another within that. We're to do good to everybody, right? We're to be people who are doing good. Paul tells us very clearly, do good to everyone, but especially to those who are in the family. We, we truly, we care about people, first and foremost in this scenario, right? We care about people. But if we cannot, if we will not take care of our family, then how can we care for those who are in the world? I mean, consider this conversation. That if someone says they're going to help you out and make sure you're taken care of, but their family's in poverty, 
They have no food. The children look like skeletons. Do you really have confidence they're going to be able to take care of you? You can't even feed your kids. What are you going to do for me? (coughs) You see, Jesus always intended that this love that we show one another, it's to be an apologetic, an example to the world of his goodness to the world. That this love we have for one another is intended to be a display to the world. There is something special here within this people. There is something good. Come, taste and see. He tells us in John 13 that the world will know we are his disciples. By what? By how we love one another. If we're united by a heavenly father who cannot help but bring people together in unity and to see them love one another, how can we live any differently? If we say that we're united by Heavenly Father and we don't get along and we do not love one another, what does that say about our Heavenly Father? We are to serve one another. Notice that Paul does not say, the pastors are to do this and you're a recipient. Paul does not say, the deacons are to do this and you are a recipient. What qualifier does he add on who's supposed to do this? He says, everyone, serve everyone. Do good to everyone. It's a basic call of the Christian life that you're to love and serve one another. That means you're to be as generous as you are in receiving and giving. We're to prioritize the service of one another, everyone giving towards one another. I think as we look at the scriptures, I think the greatest example we have of this are the gifts that God has given us. Consider these, the, the gifts that the Lord has given you, particularly the spiritual gifts, right? When we study through scripture, we see that there's this gifting of being an evangelist, right? There's this gifting of being an encourager. There's a gifting of being a teacher. There's a gifting of being a shepherd, right? These are all good gifts. Whatever your wiring is, you've maybe got something I didn't list in there. But here's the interesting thing. Your gift, no matter what it is, has absolutely no value and usage if you're not in community. If you're a shepherd and you're not in community, who are you shepherding? Your dog doesn't need you to cuddle with them. (laughs) Who are you shepherding if you're not in community with someone? If you're a teacher and you're not in community with people, who are you teaching? If you're an encourager and you're not in community with people, are you encouraging the paint off the walls? Like, what are you doing? (coughs) Every gift that is given to us by God It requires us to be in community with other people, to even use them. We are made to be a part of a family. I mean, we're just made that way, that even our very giftings exist to only be used within what? Within community, within a family. This is how God has made us. This is how he's wired us. And now that we have found a family, a people who know us, who accept us, who understand who we are and say, but for the grace of God, I'd be the same way. We're we're united by that grace. 
Now that we found this, why wouldn't we give generously of who we are to love and to serve one another? Isn't this the greatest reflection of God that we could offer, right? The greatest example we could offer to the world of who God is and what he has done for us. To serve and to love one another and to let that overflow into a lost and dying world. So they might come, taste and see of the goodness of God and be captivated by this truth, this message that they too could be a child of God if they would trust in Jesus. As we study the scriptures, I believe that this is really down to just simply the heart of the Father right here. This is exactly what God believes. This is what Jesus believed when he walked the earth. I mean, Jesus proclaimed to us from the get-go as he came to the earth. He came to not be served, but to what? Serve. I mean, think about this. This is the God of the universe coming to dwell in human flesh. This is a God who is worthy of all honor, all glory, all reverence. I mean, simply put, he could have stayed in heaven and and left us to our own sinful destiny. He could have left us alone and he still would have been good and justified. But what did he do? He came and took upon flesh, lived in this world perfect, righteous, holy, He lived a life that you and I could not. He did all that we were supposed to do. And he succeeded where we failed. This is the God who, as he went to the cross, he could have called down armies of angels to pull him off this cross. I mean, even at that point, as he's being pierced and wounded for our transgressions, he could have said, I'm out. This isn't worth it. Come get me. And he would have been off the cross. You see, he didn't have to endure any of the pain or the difficulty that he did. You see, he did all of this. He went to the cross. He died upon that cross. He rested in that grave for three days. Why? Because this is getting to the core of the Father's heart. Our Father is a loving God who wants nothing more than to be united with His children for all time. This is who our Father is. He wants nothing more than for His children to come home and be His forever. Jesus tells us several times in the book of John that there's nothing greater that you can offer in this world than laying down your life for for the sheep He says that in the Good Shepherd passage. Or for his friends. You see, this is how our God views us. He calls us not only his sheep that he watches over and cares for, that he knows and loves, but he calls us his friends. He has a deep, abiding, personal relationship with you and I because he loves us. I just ask you this question. Do you look upon God and say he is your father? Or do you look upon God and say he's a stranger? Because if you look upon him and you call him father, then this is good news because you are a child of God. And we rejoice in the goodness and the grace that God has shown us. But if you look upon him and you say that he is a stranger, then this is an opportunity for you to call out to him 
and to call him father. You see, just because you're a stranger today doesn't mean you have to stay a stranger. God in his grace and mercy desires nothing more from his creation than for us to call upon him and call him father. We can call him father through repenting of our sins, through calling upon the name of Jesus, saying that I need forgiveness and I need for you to make things right inside of me so that I might be a child of the Father, so that I might call you brother and sister, so that I might call you friend. This is the very heart of the Father that He desires for His people to be His forever. So here today you'll have an opportunity to make that decision. I'll spend a few moments in silent prayer for us so that you might begin to speak to God and tell Him whatever it is that is on your heart. And I'll close us in prayer as our worship team leads us in worship. My hope and my prayer is that today you would call upon God as His child, calling upon a father to rejoice and celebrate in His goodness. If you want to talk about this, I'd love to speak to you either during the final portion of worship or afterwards. Come see me if you'd like to talk about this. But if I could, could we go to the Lord in prayer together? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you today asking for your grace and mercy to be upon your children, upon your creation. Lord, you have created us. You knew us in our mother's womb. You knitted us together. You cared for us. You sustained us. You brought us into this world. Lord, you have cared for us. You have walked with us. You have guided us, directed us, encouraged us, challenged us, disciplined us where needed throughout our lives. And Lord, we're left in this moment with an opportunity to look upon you and to call you Father. This story only begins, this only allows us to call you Father if we've trusted in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. If we rest in this confidence that Jesus has paid the debt of our sin and shame, that the cross is sufficient for us to be made whole. If we would recognize that all of our works and deeds, all of these things are but filthy rags before you because they carry no value and no meaning. Lord, it is my prayer that for all of us who have gathered, those who are watching online, wherever you might be, Lord, that we would see, hear, and encounter the good news of the gospel today. That we would rest in this truth that the cross is sufficient and that it is paid for our sin and shame if we trust in Jesus. That we have been united together with this family and we are called children of God, not just today but forever. Lord, that we would be united with you, rejoicing in your goodness and grace. The answer to the things that ail us, that, that cause us to struggle, to stumble, to fall, all these things, the answer is that we would rest in what Jesus has done for us. 
So Lord, today you've showed us who you are. We've heard about what you've done for us. My hope, my prayer is that everyone here would see this goodness and grace and rejoice that they are children of God. Lord, I ask that you bless us in this time. Let us sing this final song and rejoice in your goodness and grace. Thank you for being a father who is good to his children. We pray these things in your name. Amen.